a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. For your convenience, I am H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. Q, for the same reason. Last week was an easy go for us. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, somebody who came in with a thousand pitches already, <laughs> and uh, he was still coming up with new stuff off the top of his head, which is pretty amazing. If we are a thousand episodes in... <laughs> Yeah. Some years in the future and still coming up with new ideas, then I think we'll we'll finally be able to earn the right to start advertising at that point. Does that seem fair? <laughs> you know, I, I'm hoping that that bodes well for us. It, it suggests a constant inventiveness, even if we can mm. match uh, 50% of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Today I'm bringing in kind of a strange, weird, amorphous pitch. This one's more kind of a collection of loose mechanics rather than something that's uh, really neat and tidy. So I hope that we can take it in interesting directions. My pitch is pretty simple. I've been thinking of funny mechanics that would be fun to work into video games, sometimes based on uh, like diving back into the options menu and changing some of the, you know, turning swearing on and off and turning blood on and off, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But actually, like, mechanically working it into the game. And so, you know, my thought is that you play as a police officer and you can add necessary abilities by finding them in, like, the key bindings menu. You know, if your officer says, like, oh, I don't know if I'm able to make that jump, then you can go into the menu and turn on, like, long jump ability and then you are able to you know make the leap across rooftops in one of the police chases or whatever you can turn on the subtitles to eavesdrop on criminals uh, (laughs) that you couldn't hear otherwise you can uh, if your partner gets shot uh, this is one of those dramatic moments in the story where you know you don't know if he's going to make it or not and he might not but if you go into the menu and turn off blood then that keeps him from bleeding out and he can join you on the rest of your adventure and just kind of like fun things like that and i would like it to play out so you can just kind of play the game straight through and not really encounter any of it but you'll kind of get like a bad ending i don't want those mechanics to like really slap the Uh, player in the face at any point like i want them to feel clever for thinking to try it in the first place which most probably won't but i feel like if this got popular it would gain one of those reputations for like "Eh, maybe you should be a little clever you should uh you should look behind the scenes every once in a while and then people might think to you know try some stuff out and like the undertale or near games have that kind of uh behind the scenes intrigue to them So let's start the clock and see where we can take this. Wow. So congratulations for your first Kojima collaboration on (laughs) on the show. Excellent. (laughs) I, it's funny that you pitched this because I played through, um, not to talk too much about another game, 
I played through Metal Gear Solid 1 on mm-hmm. PlayStation 3. So all of that stuff of kind of like spoilers to learn, I guess, um, looking through the back of the CD case um, or, mm, yeah. you know, swapping out a memory card or swapping controller slots was actually all expressed through back end menu settings that felt <laughs> very much like what you were pitching rather than physically swapping stuff around like I would have in PS1 days. So I I really like this idea and want to know, like, could we play with time as well? There's so many games where, like, pausing could maybe literally hold up an event from happening or something. Mm-hmm. You know, the police won't arrive for another five minutes. You know, pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, like, kind of wait it out. Yeah, that's clever. I do want to keep everything kind of within the realm of normal options that would happen, but it would be fun to kind of think through various kind of like real life versions of what all of these mechanics would represent. Like if you need to jump like a barbed wire fence, then you turn the anti-aliasing way up to kind of soften it. (laughs) (laughs) Or even if you were in, maybe there's a scene in a uh, loud club or something and you need to go and turn the music down in order (laughs) to hear something that's going on or reveal something or I mean, I'm sure we could have some fun with Gamma, too. That seems to be an option, basically everything Mm. these days. And I'd like it if it affects the whole world as well. Like, if you turn the music down in the club, then everybody starts looking around like, something's changed, something's different now. Or, yeah, I guess if you turn the Gamma up, then you could, oh, you can put on sunglasses, turn up the Gamma, and then that would, like, blind your foes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right, that we just accept in this medium entirely that option menus are Mm -hmm. kind of something for us and not something for anything that happens in the, you know, interactive experience that we're having Mm -hmm. where thinking about those sort of things I even like, (laughs) perhaps you're trying to coerce somebody into something or, uh, or perhaps a, a crime, somebody committing a crime out of something and you are turning up sensitivity (laughs) or turning down sensitivity is like thinking about (laughs) how that would affect you know these characters psychologically because you never like turn up or down sound effects and somebody says hey you know it's a bit too loud could you turn it down i also want to get into like a more meta level of this like if we could hit the combination of buttons that pulls up the steam overlay but it is those kind of buttons are hijacked for this game. So it pulls up like a fake steam overlay and you can go into this game store and change the names of things on the, on the store description. You can change the rating to decrease the violence or to, you know, increase some of the details that you need to know. Oh wow. Yeah. This fun tinkering. It's almost like being a hacker for the real world. Well, the options menu to me provides one of the best villains that one could have in a, in a a (laughs) existential video game, which is shadows. You can, (laughs) you can turn the shadows up to very high or very low. Um, and that would be interesting if you start off like as a police officer tracking down these kind of normal types of crimes, like an LA noir type thing until you start thinking like these all feel like they're related. And then at the end of the game, it turns into more of like an existential, like you're coming up against this, other force who has control over the options menu and has unlocked the ability to drag the sliders beyond their normal limits. And so you could turn the shadows hostile and you could change the proportions of the characters like you would in a character creator type of screen. Right. 
Yeah, it'd be fun to think of ways to like weaponize these against the characters as well. <laughs> There's even stuff to me that like ties into it. You can go all the way into having this be how most of the mechanics in the game are expressed or um, in more of the sort of Kojima Metal Gear style have these like moments where somebody who is, uh, you know, maybe has a dry sense of humor or is particularly clever. For example, there's some tense moment where you uh, are trying to get bullets into a gun in order to like save somebody or keep a bad guy off of you. And it's a matter of going into the menu and selecting load, right? <laughs> to <laughs> actually get this thing going. The way that naively, if you read some of these options, which have become so insider, I think, mm -hmm. over time, and we take we take something for granted, like, post-processing like what the heck does that mean to a normal person or even invert look and stuff like that i wonder how that could play out um you know turn the world upside down or something these options that are just labels that have become so used that they get shortened um yeah and now what do they mean in that abstract uh is, you is use cool. post-processing to like closely examine a letter and you can get in the, one of the situations where the villain is taken hostage. It's like, you're too late. There's no way you can save her. And you just have to hit the save button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And then of course, like, then we have to figure out how to actually save. Maybe we just auto save, right? That's, that's going to have to be how it is. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. small things like, okay, so now here's, here's always something that's in a menu in a modern game. And I wonder if we can make it work somehow. DLC. Or like downloadable content, like how mm -hmm. is that like a section where we could maybe dynamically load objects into the game? Yeah, possibly. I, I feel like that has been kind of riffed on enough in games like DLC Quest, which yeah. I really like. Like, I think that one's really funny and clever and uh, pretty satisfying as well. Yes. Like, it does kind of feel a little deus ex machina in a way. Like, this is all deus ex machina. This is like Monkey Island logic, essentially. Yeah. But I like the idea that you have all of the options at least visible to you from the beginning. And so if we start introducing new stuff later in the game, then, I don't know, it kind of loses a sense of like finiteness so we definitely have to have and I, I feel bad because i don't necessarily just want to go through a list of options here but uh, <laughs> if if the character gets drunk and we can play with motion blur that will be mm. very 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 good <laughs> or if he gets like drugged in the enemy camp and you know they're trying to to keep him out of their hair and he ends up wriggling his way out of uh out of being tied up and lassoed uh, but he's still got the drugs in his system and he's trying to work it out and you just turn the motion blur down and you're good to go again. Right. It's that sort of stuff to me where if it's used, like if it's expressed in a way, you know, you'd have this instinct of like, I think we've all had the moment of like, well, if this was real life, I would just, you know, do, do this. I would hit the <laughs> make it great button and it would do it. Yeah, just like in real life. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, following the naive logic. Yeah. Uh, like I just, it's blurry. <laughs> Cutscenes that don't adhere to the logic of the game itself, that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. It even would be great to like decrease resolution and turn this thing into a secret side-scrolling 2D experience. <laughs> yeah, or you could turn down the quality of the visuals to blend in in a crowd because you're not as visually distinct anymore. <laughs> right, you're just character number five in the sea of pixels. Like one of those flat-faced like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater people. <laughs> I, I want to figure out some way of 
because it's almost like right now what we've figured out is a bunch of scenarios where the options would fix a problem that we're having. I wonder, is there an option that somebody would typically turn on uh, or just mess with? that could potentially cause them an issue or make something harder for them or something. Like from a story perspective or more from a mechanical perspective? Yeah, I I, I guess either, but I, I started thinking mechanical, uh, but it would be interesting. Like we start every game with a menu, right? Which, which is like yeah. single player, uh, multiplayer, that sort of stuff. Maybe that even you know, has some sort of profound impact in the game without you necessarily knowing that you're opting into something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting if all of these changes ended up culminating in kind of like a Life is Strange type of thing. Slight spoilers. Yeah, in Life of Strange, it turns out that Max, using her powers, ends up making things worse on kind of a more, like, metaphysical level. Yeah, uh, you know, I won't go into too much more detail, but you know, you could get into the game starts and this world starts misbehaving the more and more this cop uses his powers. <laughs> you can ultimately like fight off the end boss by turning off V-Sync and the screen tearing kind of tears him apart. All these options, there's a lot of places to go with this, but we're out of time oh. on that one. So yeah, it just flies right by. Uh, we should have hit pause about halfway through. <laughs> uh, but anyways, the title that I have in my mind for that is like literally off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm calling it Coptions. <laughs> you, we have we have a lot of cop games now on the we show. Do. But, yeah. but I, like <laughs> I don't know why that is. I guess maybe they're on my mind a lot lately. Political yeah, stuff. <laughs> no kidding. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to make this pitch to you. And before I do, I just want to preface it with, we are not a comedy podcast <laughs> necessarily. Okay. Right. Um, and I know it's going to sound silly, but I think it's actually a good idea. It is essentially Rainbow Six, the sort of most modern version of Rainbow Six. Mm -hmm. Siege. Yeah, Siege meets Home Alone. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Just some details here. Uh, I, I figure the way this format could work is you start off as a kid who we totally won't call Kevin McAllister. Mm -hmm. And um, you have a, a house, so you end up in a, a random house, one of, you know, so many. And your job is to go around, you know, assembling household objects, maybe even Dead Rising style, and creating these traps. <laughs> You're essentially setting up traps that you hope are going to be triggered by um, the multiplayer, the two-player bandits. And the most prized possession that you put in the most secure location is, like, mom's diamond earrings or something like that. You know, some super cliche crook thing mm -hmm. um so the kid once he has all of his traps set up you make a phone call uh to the police saying that the bandits are coming to my house and that is when two other players are introduced to the game as the the bandits and their job is to go throughout the house trying not to spring the traps and sort of steal items of value from the house now if they trigger a trap they drop the item they go unconscious the other bandit has to wake them up. Uh, if both bandits go unconscious, they lose. Um, and if they find mom's diamond earrings, the kid loses. Once the phone call happens, there's some sort of countdown timer until the cops uh, arrive, too, so that the bandits don't necessarily want to be there when the cops get there. 
So generally, I figure the kid is going to score points when the crooks get knocked out or, or trigger traps. Maybe the harder the trap is to trigger or the more specific the trap, the more points it's worth. Um, mm-hmm. The bandits obviously get some sort of points based on the monetary value they were able to extract from the house. And then it, the match ends when the police arrive. And if they got away, the scores are tallied. If they're still in the house, they're caught. Um, but this is the basic of what I have for this thing. So Cool, cool. Yeah. All right, starting the clock there. I'm getting a lot of different vibes from this. This is like part hitman, part tower defense. This idea of setting up traps is a lot of fun. And I... I want to kind of imagine it as being something that's like pitched towards older gamers. And so you could actually get like a little gruesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like it would be kind of funny to have like a Mortal Kombat gory, like home alone game. But yeah, I don't want to put words into your mouth here. Well, no, it's interesting. The stuff that happens in that movie for all intents and purposes, people's yeah. heads being set on fire, <laughs> like people being knocked in the channels. It's pretty horrific stuff, actually. <laughs> Well, the guy steps through a nail at one point, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really does. And then falls down a flight of stairs. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> but uh, uh, one of the things that you were saying about the criminal is knocked out and the other criminal can revive them. I, I feel like it would be too easy for the criminals to yeah. end up you know, winning the day if they stay together. Then one of them can scout forward, the other one can revive them if they fall into a trap, and they can just kind of like pair back and forth. As long as we haven't really established what the manipulator Kevin is doing during this time. He could be setting up more traps, he could be back behind trying to make some things happen, triggering things, or playing kind of a God's role perspective, like uh, like an dungeon master type of game. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would think if there's two of them, then they could just kind of frog hop their way through the home, just reviving each other whenever they fell over. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, until they ended up getting to the treasure. The sort of kind of risk V reward there is, you know, the the guy, we're going to go ahead and call him the Kevin, uh, <laughs> is able to to sort of have traps that would, if they were in reasonable proximity to each other, they would just both get knocked out. And it's kind of like an instant they lose because they're unconscious until the cops arrive or whatever. I've been trying to figure out how do I bolster the Kevin experience. I know in the (laughs) Home Alone fiction, there's that maybe he's, you know, firing off a TV or a radio or making startling sounds and, you know, noises or some traps need to be sprung by hand. For example, the, you know, dare I say the paint cans on the staircase yeah. <laughs> uh, actually have to be thrown and hit, you know, hit somebody. And of course they can dodge it too, which makes that maybe a high value trap to to hit somebody with. You almost get that feeling of being at the end of those detective movies, like a Silence of the Lambs or something like that. And you're in the serial killer's house. You don't know which corner they're behind. And that's kind of like tense and scary yeah. to think that the burglars would be like that afraid of, <laughs> of this kid. little kid who, for all intents and purposes, could be out to kill them. Right. right. And and through some of the means, like, uh, you know, putting a hot iron on a doorknob is, mm. and you know, killing them. But I wonder, do you think that this could work if you inflated the numbers? It would make it a little less Home Alone-like, but say... It almost becomes a, a a dungeon defenders if you 
say, you know, there are three or four kids and, you know, there's four bandits and you just kind of go, you know, four V four. It could be fun as like a more contained, smarter enemy left for dead type of experience. Yeah. 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 The thing that I keep coming back to is that if the players are also controlling the bandits, I feel like after a few games, they would kind of know what visual indicators to look out for. They would learn how to not trigger the traps. And kind of the fun thing about Home Alone is that they were so kind of strung together and so unpredictable that these bandits didn't know what hit them. But after a little while, like players would learn how the overall system works. And one way to solve that is to, instead of kind of prefabricating a bunch of traps, you could set up Rube Goldberg potential and allow players to create these like physical contraptions, which would take a little bit longer to create, but it might give a little bit more unpredictability. Again, it would be difficult to visually disguise. This could almost work well as like a turn-based type of thing, kind of like a Hitman Go, the video game board game version of Hitman, uh, where you know every character moves a certain number of spaces in each turn, and so you can ensure that they will be on one of your trap spaces. I think there are a few games that do end up working out like this. It's difficult to think about how to structure this game in a way that would be replayable. One of the things, right, that would work totally in the favor of the bandits in this scenario is the fact that in the fiction of a movie, they are going to this house for the first time. And not only would they eventually learn the the traps, they would just learn the layout of a house. So they'd Mm -hmm. be like, oh, the jewels are probably in this room or that room. Like, I guess... You know, the kid would have to be able to control where the ultimate prize of this thing was. I do like the idea of it turning out to be next to the thieves van or something out in Mm -hmm. the driveway (laughs) um, when they're scouring the whole world for it. It's almost like, I don't know if you remember, I think it was Splinter Cell that had the spies versus mercenaries uh, mode. and. What was interesting about that to me is the the mercenaries in that had to play in first person, yep. whereas the mm-hmm. spies had a larger field of view and the benefit of, say, like night vision and that sort of stuff. So I wonder if it's a matter of really bolstering the tools against the thieves, you know, just to counteract any possible measure. Because I, I also wanted to, like, if a thief drops something of value when they're hit by a trap, to have the you know, the kid have agency to go pick it up and relocate it somewhere in the house. Yeah, that's interesting. I think what makes this idea interesting, just kind of break it down to the base idea, is having these two entirely different gameplay styles, this kind of asynchronous form of play where you have different objectives and different methods to accomplish your objectives. This could be even adapted into different types of scenarios as well. Like, you know, you start with Home Alone, this could work equally well as like a Jurassic Park, like kids trying to escape the velociraptors and (laughs) setting up traps for them and trying to stealth their way to the exits or, you know, all these different things. And it's almost a little bit like that game Evolve that a few people were playing for about a week (laughs) and uh, where you have a team of four players going up against one giant monster Yeah, it's just these interesting asynchronous style games. Yeah, I know asynchronous has had, to say the least, a checkered past uh, in its releases. And one of those... One of those checkers, I can't say if it's that good or bad, is that Friday the 13th game. uh, Oh yeah, that that was just just a recent one. Yeah, so it... that. 
I think put me in the mindset of, hey, you know, if Friday the 13th can be a game, I think maybe Home Alone deserves to be a video game somehow. So, yeah. I think it's interesting, too, if you did have, say, multiple kids, a la the Spies versus Mercenaries, and the kids had their distinct... I'm not going to say archetypes, but classes, as you would in one of these tower defense games like Dungeon Defenders. And they all assemble to be, you know, more personality, almost like the Goonies, um, where, every, <laughs> you know, every kid has their specialty as to like yeah, what sort I of like traps that. they can set. Yeah. And they need the to work together. the technology kid and the kid <laughs> right. who's good at lifting heavy stuff and yeah, all these yeah <laughs> tech kid is going fun. straight he's like oh i can you know i can control i have remote traps and i can trigger them all from a laptop or a smartphone in the house whereas you know you have another kid who is great at you know swinging around and doing crazy acrobatic stuff i think that a lot of times video games go for the stereotypical route of you know wizards you know knights that sort of stuff and so it would be really interesting to see how that could map to a, a stranger things sort of ragtag group of kids yeah it makes me curious though what is the bandits choices when they see the kids like are they gonna like shoot the kids because that gets a little grim <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, so that would be murder, right? H. Yes. <laughs> so I think that um, there would have to be some sort of maybe the bandit just knows all they all a bandit could do is say, try and grab a kid or maybe even take a kid and like put them in their van the same way they'd collect a valuable cheese oh, or something. It's pretty horrifying as well. <laughs> well, I mean like in Mario Kart, that new Mario Kart mode where if, if another kid can say spring a partner away from their <laughs> trap or something um, is also interesting. Yeah. And if not, Oh, well, it looks like Billy rode <laughs> off in the, in the criminal's van, <laughs> which is, you know, funny uh, all of its own. Better luck next time. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. All right. Well, we have to, uh, on, on that note, we have to end the discussion there. Uh, uh, did you come in with a, with a name for this home alone game? You know, I really did not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I want to suggest not seriously, but I am amused by it. The name Kevin Lee Sword. <laughs> uh i like that quite a bit um maybe we could do maybe it's perpetually christmas time in this land too i don't know home invasion simulators maybe another another thing to do kevinly sword is good though let's stick with that okay (laughs) and we have a third pitch today from our community if you the listeners would like to pitch us a game idea And you can do that by sending it to playwrightcast at gmail.com, or you can send it to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch. And that is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. This one comes from Andreas Lennartson. Would that be how you would uh, pronounce that? I think so. There's two N's and two S's. Uh, Apologies if the pronunciation is not correct. We do very much appreciate you sending in a pitch. We don't mean to butcher your name if that is not correct. who says, Hi Ryans, this is my dream game. It's a third-person Grand Theft Auto-style game with RPG elements set in the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, I know, but bear with me. Set in the (laughs) USA, I don't know what city, after the events of all existing Harry Potter stories, 2020-ish. You take control of a private wizarding detective, insert creative name here. You complete cases a bit strange and difficult for the normal law enforcement. Think Harry Potter meets Sherlock Holmes. 
You complete your cases using a mix of interrogating, solving puzzles, and cover-based combat, all using different spells, potions, and magical abilities. As you play, you unlock different skills, and you can also buy magic gear from vendors. The game is also filled with fan service in the form of easter eggs and collectibles. Start the clock on that. Andreas! What a video game. This is cool. Yeah, I like this. You know, we do a lot of detective style games, but uh, uh, there's something about like the detective archetype is so fun to just kind of like jam into other spaces where it doesn't belong because it is such like a specific thing in the pop culture lexicon. It's fun to even spin that a little bit. And I think setting it in the Harry Potter universe is a, a really fun direction to take that. I've always wanted a grand theft auto slash open world style sort of x files experience mm-hmm. <laughs> and this has the potential to do all of that plus even get crazier and more whimsical with the magic stuff i can could imagine some you know transportation in this game is going to be very fun uh, getting yeah. from place to place. You know, you're investigating these kind of like real world wizarding crimes, but you have to keep your magic under wraps. Like you can't let any people around you see you performing magic. I don't know if you have other non right, muggle cops on the on the force <laughs> to bring up that ugly and hateful word, <laughs> or if you have uh, if you have to block off crime scene areas like any police officer would do to investigate them and and keep all those prying non-magical eyes away, being very careful with how you uh, how you present in this world. Now, did you see, is it uh, Incredible Beasts and Where to Find Them? Something like that? Yeah, I, I have a I, Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic, yes. Um, <laughs> but I, I did not see it. That's the sort of contemporary Potter, right? Uh, well, contemporary-ish. I think, I, actually, I think this one was set before the other. Oh, further back. This one was an American adventure, so to speak. And from what I understand, I played the Lego Dimensions version of it, so I'm hardly in any position to give a plot synopsis. Well, but, those um, are surprisingly good at summarizing certain yeah, bits yeah. of things. Yeah, but I, I guess it's about this guy who is kind of like a, a magical beast collector and tamer, and he studies these beasts and writes the Harry Potter's textbooks about them. And he travels to America to study some sort of beasts that are on the prowl over here and brings his own suitcase of beasts. And he's always kind of like looking at these magical happenings and trying to hide the fact that there's anything unusual going on from all the muggle public. And so I get kind of a similar vibe from this. I really want to see some part of this feel something like L.A. Noir, if that makes any sense. And, and what I mean by that is... What's so awesome to me about these magical worlds, especially like the Harry Potter sort of world, is how off-putting the facial animation is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about right squarely in the Uncanny Valley, everything sits. <laughs> no, it's it's more that the the bad guy uh, or bad person rather mm-hmm. could be hiding in plain sight. In fact, they could yeah, be a yeah. rabbit or a cat. Um, <laughs> you know, you could go on a chase to somebody who turns into or is riding a flying creature and you can have an entire like essentially car chase in the sky yeah the highs and lows of how fantastical that can get where like you know the scourge of dark magic or people practicing dark magic and you're sort of that's almost the quote drug ring 
of uh, this world, yeah. right? Of you're tracking down like, hmm, it seems like so-and-so is doing some suspicious stuff that maybe they shouldn't be allowed to do. And you're hearing reports of it and you're going and checking it out. So mixing that really human on the ground stuff, but then anytime there's an action scene um, or anytime you're face to face with a threat or maybe like, you know, I hesitate to say boss battle because I don't know if, if Grand Theft Auto really has anything equivalent to a really traditional video game boss battle. Having those be the spell casting wonderful thing or even, you know, what? where do you walk on this line? Do you need some black magic to suss the truth out mm. of somebody? Those typical Bioware moral choice moments. Right. Well, how much black magic do you practice? Slash, maybe you have... It's it's 007 style. You have a license to use black magic against black magic <laughs> users. Uh, but it is fun having these kind of dual worlds of the muggle population and then the wizarding population to go into Diagon Alley and all of these uh, kind of wonderful places. Where in your mind, I know, he, you know, here Andreas says set in the Harry Potter universe. I haven't spent enough time in the Harry Potter universe to know, like, I guess what a city feels like in that world. I know that there's a part of it that takes place in reality and some of Mm -hmm. it is in this kind of magical land that they go off to. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah. Harry Potter and his friends go off to this magical land where they have wonderful (laughs) wizarding adventures. I think you pretty much summed up the Okay. Well, I mean, okay. So here is true confession. I've never read or seen all the Harry Potter movies. All right. Well, um, we have a few minutes left in the podcast, so we're going to have to require you to catch up. Perfect. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep the listeners busy until you're done with all of them. Uh, you have about uh, probably 40,000 pages to get through. Okay, listeners, pause. Probably expanded fiction. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's uh, yeah, Harry Potter goes to a, you know, like a wizarding boarding school. And so everything is very much centered around his time spent at Hogwarts, which is a kind of old school English castle turned into a, like a university, so to speak, I guess more of a primary school, young kid. Yeah. You do spend a little bit of time in the wizarding world and most of the wizards do live in like the regular real world, but they all have their kind of like behind the scenes areas where they gather and they have their own special shops and their own special sporting arenas and all of these types of things. It's all tend to be modeled after medieval architecture or feel a little bit more like Charles Dickens times. Yeah, I did see Diagon Alley. So that makes sense. So I do like the idea that this is to write like what you said, the two different worlds at the same time. What is more interesting about setting it in this universe than, say, Grand Theft Auto is Grand Theft Auto, you're kind of always in, I hate to call it a generic environment, but there's not always super interesting corners and alleys during, you know, throughout a lot of the streets. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to be on maybe an on-foot chase or to be investigating something and, you know, step through to these other feeling realities um, yeah, where yeah. things that are masked from the normal world is really compelling. Yeah. It would also be interesting if you had to kind of choose between the human world and the wizarding world where you are tasked with, you are a officer in the wizarding world because you solve magical crimes. But you also, to kind of wear your guise of normality, have to work as a an officer in the real world as well, so that you have the authority to go out there and investigate crimes and not have the real cops called on you anytime that you're out investigating. And so throughout the game, you can make choices about which one you want to align yourself more with. You know, obviously 
Wizard World is more kind of fantastical and fun and gives you access to magical resources and all of this. But at the same time, you don't fully trust the intentions of those who are giving you these commands and everything feels a little bit... Maybe not on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just having like ups and downsides to both of these worlds and giving you kind of like alternate play courses and ultimately letting you choose how to report these cases to your superiors because you have to give a normal, reasonable explanation to come in with the suspect to the human world as well. Yeah, Otherwise, you have a job. they're going to think like, well, I don't know what you did. You seem to clean it up, but I don't know where all the evidence went. This is awful suspicious. I am really attracted to the idea of late in the game or maybe at the sort of, you know, arc of the story, you have a moment where your own unit or your own boss, your own department has become aware of you as a magic user <laughs> and they are, you know, hunting you or they've turned on you yeah, until yeah. you can resolve that. And it's almost like all your good deeds that you've worked for are for naught because you've either been framed by the magic world or just you're exposed and that's bad enough to them to have a really intense moment where you have to you know, somehow manage to control your friends in a tense situation, but not hurt them. And this idea of keeping an all open world is really cool as well, because one of the things that L.A. Noir struggled with was justifying its use of an open world, because, you know, you're a police officer, and so you have to derive correctly without smashing into things otherwise you would be penalized you would right. have to <laughs> not like, very just fun. kind of go to work and go home and there's really nothing else to do in this world because it wouldn't really make sense for a detective to be going on all these grand theft auto style side quests but in a situation like this where you are kind of aligned with multiple factions uh, it, it does justify the use of an open world a little bit more because you want more freedom to explore and make choices and investigate things on your own so that could be cool i like this idea and you know equally well this could work for like a men in black type setup like an x-files thing like you were saying before there's a lot of different ways we could take this and i hope the community will continue to take this in different directions yes if anybody else out there has anything to say about this one then please do write in to the spots that we've uh, we said before or even our twitter at playwrightcast and get in touch with us there and let us know what you think of these ideas and where you would take them because the book has not closed on these. There is still exploration to do. Andreas brings us a name. The name brought forward is Mischief Managed DS, which is DS a like a prefix or a suffix for a uh, like a detective service? Uh, maybe <laughs> I have. I think I've learned this recently. I think that means uh, detective. Detective Sergeant? Or it could just be on the Nintendo DS. It feels a few oh, years yeah. late to be. I know that <laughs> right. we have a backlog of these ideas, but I didn't think it went that far back. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, it might mean something. I know Andreas, I'm guessing based on his email address, is from Sweden. So mm -hmm. maybe it has a different different meaning there. But I do like the name Mischief Managed. That is a Harry Potter reference. For those of you out there like you here who have not been uh, up on the books and movies, and action figures and video games and Lego sets. <laughs> I was going to make it Harry Copper, but uh, <laughs> I figured once uh, Kevin Lee Sword came out, we can't do, can't do two of those in episode. And that would be two cop puns as well. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a good one. I like that. That is going to just about do it for us today. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. Ryan, why don't you tell them a bit about our musical selection? Yes. Special thank you to Proto Dome for the use of our theme song, Hello World. It's off the album Blue Noise. It's on Bandcamp. It's very, very good. You should get it. Just to leave you with a little something to snack on in the week in between, how about a game where you play as a streamer and you have to control the game and the person streaming to Twitch at the same time. (laughs) See you next week. Bye.